This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. First time unemployment claims unchanged. Consumer spending moves higher. Joining us with the details, Diane Swank, chief economist at Grant Thornton here in Chicago. Uh, Diane, I want you to help us to, to understand inflation here. You have consumer spending higher. That's good. And, and we'll have you talk about that. Uh, we want people to feel confident and, and we want them to spend money. And yet, a lot of money being spent with not as many goods available. Is is that adding at all to the inflation picture? Exactly. We are seeing shortages out there and the shortages, most notably right now, of tests and rapid tests, but shortages are certainly compounding the inflation outlook right now, along with strong demand. We've had a surge in demand. People often look at the ports and say it's just a supply chain issue, but actually the volume coming into U.S. ports has surged well into the double digits in 2021 as we bought a bunch of stuff to deal with the monotony of lockdowns and quarantines. And now, as we're pivoting into services, you're seeing that show up in services inflation as well. Airfares are picking up. Hotel room rates are picking up. Of course, all this was pre-Omicron, and we should see some moderation as we get into January and the latter part of December. We still don't have the data on all of that, but we do know that even though travel remained extremely robust during this holiday season, the best since 2019, that is certainly good news for families getting together. The downside is, of course, that we've seen this Omicron variant really spread like wildfire. And even though it's more mild, that's affecting um, how the economy will perform in January and at the start of 2022. Kind of interesting on the uh, the inflation picture that you addressed. You, you, you know, you don't necessarily want to tell people, hey, stop spending money because that will ease inflation. I mean, that, that's not right. how we want to do it, right? <laughs> well, and it is actually what the Fed eventually does is when they want to um, slam the brakes. But right now, they're going to have to sort of reassess where they are and wait through. They've got a little time to wait through the first quarter. They weren't going to raise rates, you know, in January at their meeting in January anyways. And so they're really going to wait for this cloud to lift and see where we're at. I still think we're going to have rate hikes in the second half of the year, which is essentially saying don't spend as much. But that is important to keep into context. One of the things that's the biggest tailwind we're seeing out there is that increase in, in rental costs and in housing costs. That's going to show up as a big surge in inflation and add to inflation next year, even as some of the goods prices start to abate in terms of their role on inflation. Talk about the significance of these uh, first-time jobless claims numbers. I mean, basically staying flat. Yes, we saw them basically staying flat at really low levels, which is great news right through the last week um, that we saw of the survey week, that right through the end of mid-December, and that's important. That was a survey week for employment for the month of December, so we're not likely to see some Omicron imprint on those un- unemployment insurance claims. Uh, in the print of the official data for employment for December, what I worry about going forward is how much do we see some of this mount as we get into January. Some businesses that are already 
be struggling. Now have to close their doors again because people aren't going into restaurants as often. We have seen people um, not going out to movie theaters often as well. And we've also seen, obviously, the impact on sporting events. So all of that is something we're sort of holding our breath on and hoping that we can make it through in a really short period of time and not have it leave even deeper scars with related to COVID on the U.S. economy. Thanks so much. That is Diane Swank, chief economist at Grant Thornton here in Chicago. Several prominent energy analysts say crude oil likely to hit $100 next year. Global demand could surge. Let's talk about it with Phil Flynn, senior market analyst at Price Group. Phil, it's always good to talk to you. Before we get into where oil may be going in 2022 and and the consumption, uh, let's just talk about the last several weeks. I mean, these prices have been all over the place. They really have been, and I, and I think the main reason why we saw oil prices get crushed wasn't because we released oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but really about the fear of what the Omicron variant of COVID-19 could do to demand. People were really afraid that we were going to get back to 2020, shut down the economy, and if that happened, of course, people wouldn't fly, they wouldn't drive, and, you know, demand would fall off the map, and, you know, oil could crash like it did when it went below zero. But now it looks like those fears were overplayed, and people are realizing that even though we have to take this variant serious, uh, it's not going to impact demand as much as they had feared. And moving forward now into the next year, we have demand, even as people try to move everything over to electric to kind of ease the demand for oil, uh, it just still keeps raging and it doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. It isn't. I mean, we're going to be breaking records in the next couple of years. And, you know, the price of oil could be very well knocking on the door of $100 a barrel. We could see those gasoline prices get close to all-time highs in the next couple of years. And part of it is because of the rush to get off fossil fuels. Um we're really discouraging investment in oil and gas projects because we're telling everybody, you know, hey, in 10 years, we're all going to be driving electric cars. We're not going to need this. And the energy industry is pulled back. They're getting hit with a lot of regulations. And because of that, we're, we're, we're not producing enough to meet demand. So what's going to happen, I'm afraid, is that we're going to either see prices go so high that it slows the economy, or we're just going to see some uh, big shortages, and that could really cause some big issues, you know, for the poor and the middle class. And looking at prices, too, I mean, if you get $100 a barrel oil, I mean, you, you talk about uh, uh, the, the prices impacting the poor and middle class. I mean, that, that really increases the cost of just about everything in the economy. It really does. And I, and I think we're seeing that right now. I think one of the biggest mistakes we've made in this country is to kind of, you know, underappreciate the U.S. oil and gas producers and their impact on keeping inflation low. When, when the Biden administration declared war on fossil fuels and we saw investment drop, that was fine. We're producing less oil, less carbon emissions, but at the end of the day, our prices have gone through the roof. So you really have to have all sources of energy. Don't demonize U.S. oil and gas industry. They're one of our greatest assets. And even as we do, especially with automobiles, make the move to electric, uh, you, you, you know, oil is not going away, but the transition is going to be much slower than many people believe. It really is. You know, in fact, I, I saw a picture of a 
a Tesla charging station that was actually powered by a diesel generator. Okay, you know, the infrastructure isn't in place for electric fuels. And to build all the infrastructure it's going to take to electrify the entire nation, it's going to take more fossil fuels to, to charge all these cars and produce them. And you're not really going to get a benefit from the, you know, the, uh, the switchover for, for many, many years. It may take 100 or 200,000 miles on an electric car to break even uh, with a, you you know, like with a Ford, uh, you know, a Ford Explorer. So the, the benefit is a longer term thing. And in the short term, it's just going to cost us a lot of money and not help the environment that much. Thanks so much, Phil Flynn. He is senior market analyst at Price Group. An economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Department stores and big box retailers are seeing one of their best holiday shopping seasons ever. Joining us with the latest details, Gerald Storch, CEO of Storch Advisors, formerly Vice Chairman at Target, Chairman and CEO of Toys R Us. Uh, Jerry, um, so far it seems like people are actually excited about getting back out there and shopping again, not doing everything online. Uh, sales have been growing this year at unprecedented levels. I mean, we're seeing over 20% gains from the 2019 pre-pandemic level. So just unprecedented growth. We've never seen anything like it in retail sales. People want, are excited. They want to spend money, and they're going out and shopping. They, certainly online has grown a lot, but they're in the stores too. And you see big numbers from the winning retail chains. What do you think is behind that? It's so easy to go online and, and you get it at your door, sometimes maybe the same day or the next day. Why are so many people going back to bricks and mortar? Well, people want to be social and uh, they've always liked shopping. And one of the things that, that we tend to forget with the mammoth growth in online retailing is that it, depending on the category, at least 75 to 80% of sales are still taking place in the physical stores. And it's going to be that way for a long time. That's where the bulk of shopping does occur. People like to see things. They like to try them on. They like to see what they talk to somebody, get some advice. There are all kinds of reasons. And now a lot of retailers done a great job of integrating their website with their store so you can buy online, pick it up in the store. That's probably the biggest growing area in all of retail. And so this has got to be exciting for the places that are not exclusively online. Uh, they actually want people in those stores. I think that's absolutely true. I, we do have to be cautious because everything's rising right now because consumers have a lot of money. Obviously, last year was just terrible. And so they are, they are going to spend it this year. But it doesn't mean there won't be winners and losers. And I'd be very cautious uh, declaring victory, for example, for traditional department stores, which were not performing well before the pandemic. And they really haven't changed their strategy that much. So it's not clear they're going to be able to sustain this when we get a year or two down the line. Are there some, like, for example, uh, Target, Walmart, I mean, are, are they taking full advantage of this rush back to the stores? Great question. Absolutely true. The biggest winners are the ones that were winning before the pandemic, and it's Target, Walmart, Home Depot, which just off the charts, Lowe's, Costco, the parking lots are just mobbed. Have you seen that lately? You know, just incredible. And, of course, TJ Maxx and Ross stores, which are really store-dependent, bricks and more dependent, uh, they have little websites, but they aren't too big. They're going to do great as you come out of the pandemic. And so uh, online, though, you have uh, especially mom-and-pop places that have been trying to have an online presence to compete. That's not going away, right? They shouldn't just expect that everyone's going to come back inside? Absolutely. The fastest-growing area of retail is still e-commerce. And I got to tell you, still Amazon, still the massive winner there. They have the best distribution on the planet, better than trying to mail something through FedEx, UPS, or the post office, that's for sure. And so the best thing for a lot of mom and pops now is to partner with Amazon, use their marketplace, which is the most rapidly growing part of all of Amazon is actually where the third-party sellers are on the website. 
Thanks so much, Gerald Storch, CEO of Storch Advisors. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. News that makes you money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Stocks are on the rise. The Dow up 225 points. The NASDAQ up 155. And the S&P is up 34 points. Let's see what's going on. Jack Ablin is joining us. Founding partner and chief investment officer at Crescent Capital here in Chicago. Jack, always good to have you with us. What do you make of what you're seeing on Wall Street today? Well, uh, hi, Cisco. Um, it looks like it's the market's interpretation of a Santa Claus rally. We've gotten uh, some good news on Omicron over the last few days, and the stock market uh, appears to be uh, you know, moving higher as a result. And going forward, investors are wondering, uh, is it going to go beyond that? What's 2022 looking like? Sure. So our view there is really more of a bond market outlook than a uh, – we're using the bond market outlook, I should say, uh, for 2022 to frame our outlook for equities. And the bond market outlook is actually reasonably sanguine. Uh, what it says is that uh, inflation will roll over and trend back to roughly 25 to 2.25% by uh, year end. Um, certainly that will be helped by some higher interest rates. They're calling for three rate hikes during the course of 2022. Um, it also shows growth, uh, trending lower, which makes sense. Um, you know, we, on year over year growth, when you're using, uh, 2020 as a starting point was a lot easier than using 2021 as a starting point. So we do see growth, um, trending lower, but interestingly, the bond market believes that interest rates, particularly the 10-year Treasury yield, which is really the mechanism that equity investors use uh, for valuing stocks, isn't going to rise very much. In fact, it will likely peak at only about 1.8%, uh, and that's not even next year. That's the year after that. Um, so that says that we're going to have a pretty reasonable year, a decent year for equity risk-taking. Um, it also means we're probably only looking at mid to high single digits uh, for returns next year. Still better than uh, the bearish cases that I've heard out there. Uh, and you touched on interest rates uh, a little bit. I mean, investors need to be paying attention to that, especially if the Fed says there's likely three of them. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's, it's important. But interestingly, if you think about uh, the Fed, which was telegraphing three rate hikes this year, three rate hikes next year, that gets them up to about 1.75 in overnight rates, and at the same time, if the 10-year Treasury is only 1.8, um, that really gets to be dicey because, you know, the Fed doesn't want to push uh, the interest rate yield curve into a, a, an inversion where short-term rates are higher than long-term rates because that typically um, projects a recession. So I'm um, looking at some specific, uh, specific sectors here. Uh, tech, obviously, that's been the darling for a long, long time. 2022, do you still see growth in that sector? 
We do see some growth, but I think it's going to take a backseat to really more of the traditional players. I think uh, tech has really benefited over the years from valuation expansion, and as interest rates uh, uh, decline, uh, investors are willing to pay higher PEs. We're not going to see that next year. We're actually, in fact, this year we didn't see it. Uh, the good news was uh, tech earnings was up about 28%, and tech stocks were up about 28%. Um, next year, unfortunately, tech earnings really um, based on PEs are only going to be up about um, a quarter of that and, and investors are paying a high multiple for that smaller growth. So we prefer uh, sectors like industrials, uh, consumer staples, um, uh, utilities, not really sexy sectors, but they're relatively cheap. Uh, and so uh Investors are not paying high uh, multiples for earnings, and the earnings are going to be relatively strong. And besides, these industries have um, strong and uh, high dividends. So I think that's probably the best way to play 2022. Talk about that uh, just a little bit more here. The, if you're an investor, then the sexy stocks aren't always where you're going to be if you want to make money over the long run. That's it. You know, a lot of it is just a, a function of the price that uh, investors are willing to pay. And so, for example, you know, the forward P.E. on um, on tech is like 25 times, which means that the earnings yield, which is really just the reciprocal, uh, is only 4%. Not a real appealing uh, situation where perhaps, you know, in, in industrials, uh, the forward PE is only around uh, 17 or 18 times. So you can get, you know, 6, 7% uh, earnings yield and then add another, you know, call it 2 to 3% dividend and you're up in the uh, high single digits for 2022. Thanks so much, Jack Ablin, founding partner, chief investment officer at Crescent Capital. Buy, sell, listen. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. We often talk about the metaverse here on the Noon Business Hour. Generally, we use gaming as a reference point. There's much more to it, though. Let's talk about it with Matt Wren, co-founder and chief tech officer at Bundle AR here in Chicago. Uh, very quickly, Matt, before we get into the broad scope of the metaverse, tell us what is it for people who are just hearing about it? Sure. Uh, the metaverse is, you know, it's kind of a mixture of virtual reality and augmented reality with the physical world. So it, it's a little bit bigger than some of the avatar environments, which a lot of people are thinking of with relation to gaming. It's actually, you know, sort it's almost like the digital Internet just surrounding us with physical presence. So for people who are learning about it or even people who are already involved in its creation or, or playing around with it, uh, when we say it's more than gaming, what are we talking about? Because as you touched on, I mean, that's what people think about. They think it's just all about games. Well, yeah, and that's, you know, a lot of people, the easy comparison to make is something like Fortnite, where it's, okay, it's a 3D avatar type environment. It's definitely, you know, three-dimensional. You run around it, you have presence, you have your avatar in there, you can interact with things. And you can experience environments like that using virtual reality right now as well. And so that's what a lot of people can compare it to. But when you take it sort of outside of the realm of gaming, there's environments like that that are being used, um, you know, for, for business purposes, for all sorts of things. Um, actually, you know, people know Fortnite from the company Epic who produces it, but they also produce something called Unreal Engine, which is the engine that's behind you know, a lot of 3D environments, whether it be they're being used for games or business purposes. Unity is another company. And there's environments like Altspace, there's environments like Verbella, there's environments like Frame VR. 
you know, the last two there, they're, they're very focused more on business purposes. And of course, everyone knows about what's going on with Meta or Facebook. So talk about the the pressure that these big tech companies are under to make it so that it's not just young people who are, whether it's gaming or something else, involved in enjoying the metaverse. Uh, they, they need people of all ages to be involved in this if it's going to be as profitable as they want it to be. Well, absolutely. And you're seeing the adoption. And I mean, if, if there wasn't business there, you probably wouldn't be seeing the adoption. But, you know, EXP Realty is a company that's behind Rebella. They launched these virtual campuses and they offer them to a lot of other companies. I think PricewaterhouseCoopers has a virtual campus that's built on Verbella. Uh, Frame VR is a web-based version of the same kind of working environment that's a virtual reality environment, an avatar environment. You know, Microsoft, I'm sorry, not Microsoft, Facebook, um, they have their Horizon World, which is a VR 3D environment that people can move around in kind of like an all space. But now they also have the Horizon Workspace. So it's not there just for, you know, going to play or meet with people or, you know, socialize. And, you know, where you're seeing some things that are happening that are popular in the physical world, like Fortnite hosted rock concerts. And, you know, I read this article that was saying how we're thinking that the VR environments are going to replace the physical. I don't think it'll ever replace the physical, but I think it will definitely extend the physical. So you'll start to see people who are attending rock concerts you know, both in a physical presence and also you'll see a kind of simulcast or hybrid into virtual environments as well. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. I know we'll have you back because this is just taking off. Matt Wren, co-founder, chief tech officer at Bundle AR here in Chicago. Cash, credit, debit, and totally free. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Will the big guys show up on Wall Street this year? Joining us to talk about the prospects of a Santa Claus rally, Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. Uh, Mark, uh, let's begin with just a quick primer on Santa Claus rally. What is it? Well, it's a great question because it's uh, Santa Claus's name is taken in vain almost as much as uh, you know who. So it's uh, it's important to, to define our terms. I think I've been hearing about the Santa Claus rally from the advisors we track at least since Halloween. It's uh, it's out of control. If you look back historically in a rigorous statistical way as to when there is an above average chance of a rally, the only rally around the end of the year that uh, meets those standards occurs only after Christmas. It's a period starting the uh, first trading day after Christmas and going through the second trading day of the new year. It's uh, typically six and sometimes seven trading days. There is about a 75% chance of the market rising during that time, as opposed to about a 55% chance the rest of the time. So that's, a, that's, a, that's not a guarantee of a, a rise, but that's still a significant increase. So if you want to take a short-term bet, that would be the period to bet on it. And everything else that's referred to as the Santa Claus rally is just uh, commentators on Wall Street trying to, to uh, tell a story. So what would be behind that? I mean, what, what would uh, make it so that so often we have that rise the last week of the year? Well, it's, it's a great question. It turns out that there's a confluence of several different factors that researchers have documented. One is it turns out that at the turn of every month, the market tends to do better than other parts of the month. So, of course, the end of the year satisfies that. But also that particular pattern is especially strong 
at the turn of the year. So you have a confluence of those two patterns. And then also it turns out right around the, a holiday, the market tends to do better than it does other times of the year. There are explanations for that in terms of how traders like to go neutral right before the, the market is closed, and that tends to cause the market to rise slightly. So you have these three different patterns, each one of which has uh, met statistical standards of significance, and you have three of them all at once right in this particular period. And yet you don't necessarily treat it like a roulette wheel, right? Where you, you just sort of shove everything in there now in the last week? Well, that's right. I mean, the way to play it, think about it being a card counter on blackjack. You would want to play 30 or 40 rounds, uh, even if you're a good card counter, in order to have a good chance of success. Because your, your increase of odds in any one round is just not enough to throw caution to the winds. And the same way here, if you wanted to be really intelligent about this bet, you'd say, I'm going to, for the next 20 or 30 years, make a bet that the market will rise in this particular period. And over that time, I think you'd have very good odds of winning. But in any particular year, it's a, a three out of four bet. Really interesting. Thanks so much. Have a great holiday weekend. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's, and MarketWatch.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.